Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week on Truth and Movies, Brie Larson joins the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the spacefaring super-adventure Captain Marvel. You didn't need that, did you? No, no I didn't, but I enjoyed it. Photographer Richard Billingham recreates a troubled childhood in Thatcher-era Britain in Ray and Liz. I bought it with Ray's redundancy money, and I don't want you touching a drop of it. And in Film Club, it's back to 1984 for the first superhero movie with a female lead, Supergirl. Ben Steel bars? Yes. Whoa. All coming up in Truth and Movies, the Little White Lies podcast. It's Michael Leader here, sitting in the host chair, sitting across from a dynamic duo of contributors this week, Simran Hans from The Observer. Hello. And Beth Webb. Welcome back, Beth Webb. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Michael. And Thank Simran, you it's been a while. Are you doing well? I'm doing super. Supergirl, in fact. Ah! <laughs> Let's not give away what we think about Supergirl just yet. That's coming up later in the show. First, a little bit of housekeeping from last week. We have Ryan, who sent us a message. Nice to hear mention of where I work FOP in the last episode. Hopefully now that we've been saved, we'll have another Tartan promotion soon. Also, it looks like there were plans in 2014 to do an American version of Audition based on the novel rather than the Mike film. I really don't think you could do a Hollywood version of Audition. That I'd like really to see it. Who'd do that? Who'd star in I'd that? I'd like to hate watch that. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe c- coming soon to a hate watch near you. <laughs> but let's crack on with this week's films. Up first, we have the latest from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Captain Marvel. Sabri Larson stars as Veers, an elite soldier for the Kree alien race in their war against the shape-shifting Skrulls. She has no memory of her childhood and can remember little from before she came into the care of Star Force commanding officer yon Rog, played by Jude Law. But a trip to Earth and an unlikely alliance with S.H.I.E.L.D. agents Nick Fury, Samuel Jackson, here younger than we've seen him in previous Marvel films due to this being set in the 1990s, might just hold the key to unlocking Veers' identity. Oh, oh, you want to get personal. Where were you born? Huntsville, Alabama, but technically I don't remember that part. Name your first pet. Mr. Snoofers. Mr. Snoofers. That's what I said. Did I pass? Not yet. First job? Soldier. Straight out of high school. Left the ranks of full bird colonel. Then? Spy. Where? It was the Cold War. We were everywhere. Uh, Belfast, Bucharest, Belgrade, Budapest. I like the bees. I can make them ride. Now? Been riding a desk for the past six years, trying to figure out where our future enemies are coming from. Never occurred to me they would be coming from above. Name a detail so bizarre a scroll could never fabricate it. A toast is cut diagonally, I can't eat it. You didn't need that, did you? No, no I didn't, but I enjoyed it. Important toast-related content here, <laughs> courtesy of Samuel Jackson in Captain Marvel. Answers on a postcard. How do you like your toast, Beth? 
I never used to eat the top half of the bread. If my mum would cut it horizontally, I wouldn't eat the round bit. I'd only eat the square bits. Um, so I used to <laughs> always give her Why? back a plate. Who knows, Simran? Who knows? <laughs> but she'd give me like a jam sandwich. I'd be watching like Sesame Street or, or something. And she'd give me the, you know, you, you have the piece of bread and she'd cut it horizontally and I'd eat the square half and then I'd give the round half back to her. It must have been infuriating. I'm surprised she speaks to me to this day really after that. I, but I, I, it's I, such a weird thing to do. But it's it, it is how it is, all right? You've put me in this corner. You've asked me this question. We've, we've, <laughs> we've successfully topped the revelation from the clip there. <laughs> but let's get on, on script. So Captain Marvel is the 21st film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Was that description I gave accurate so we are expecting everyone to be keeping up with the films this is the f- the second feature after infinity war where everyone was snapped well half of everyone was snapped out of existence this is a flashback introducing a character who's going to be showing up in the next avengers movie coming out in a mere couple of months mm-hmm. beth are you still on track with all this is it getting a bit confusing for you or what i'm not but i don't think that necessarily takes away from the quality of the film like mm-hmm. they don't waste time contextualizing the universe they're just assuming everyone's clued up when they go in for me those were some slightly baffling moments of the film but there are enough qualities to make it still a, a really excellent and entertaining watch for mm-hmm. me and um, what, what are those qualities there's been much made of this being the first female fronted movie in the marvel universe is that the reason to go and see this is there more to it Yes. I mean, there's been a lot of noise around it anyway, um, as always with these sort of projects. But I think Brie Larson is, by all stretches, the reason to go and see this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Captain Marvel is as much Brie Larson as Brie Larson is Captain Marvel. And I don't think I've seen that with a superhero since Iron Man and, and Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. She lends herself so completely to the character that I feel like sometimes you just don't really see where the character ends and she begins. And because I love Brie Larson so wholly and wonderfully, that's only a good thing mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. So, man, are you a fan of Brie? I quite like a lot of her stuff. I liked her in Short Term 12. Mm-hmm. What else has she been in? Remind me. Bass Matty Blues. <laughs> really? you know, but she won an Oscar for Room, which yeah. I suppose Room, was her course. last major role. Well, I guess Room is, a, is maybe an interesting place to start for this, right? Because in that film, it so kind of rests on her performance. And it's so much about her strength as a character and her resilience. And so I guess after watching that, that's something that I associate with, with Brie Larson. And this is a movie about getting back up after you've been knocked down. But I think it protests the point a little bit too hard, actually. Mm -hmm. I don't want to sort of drag this film before it's had a chance to find its feet, but I do find some of the ideas a little bit basic. Right. And what ideas are they? Without giving any spoilers away, of course. Just this idea of of what it means to be strong. Mm -hmm. I think... At the beginning, when she's sort of in training with the Jude Law character, who, who is called, he's got a great name. Uh, Yon Rog. Yon Rog, which, you know, sounds a bit like Yule Log. Mm-hmm. But, yes. <laughs> but, um, but they're training together and he says something along the lines of, I need you to control your emotions. Yeah. I need you to be able to exercise that part of yourself. And I guess you could say that emotion is a feminine quality and it's mm-hmm. all about her being able to channel rather than repress that. But I don't know if we kind of get enough about her and about the character, if there's enough shading, other than the fact that, yeah, she's tough and she gets back up, mm-hmm. as demonstrated in a rather obvious montage. Which was given away in the trailer, really. If you'd seen the trailers, you've seen It's a huge shots. marketing tool for mm-hmm. the for the film, I think, is, yeah, this ability to kind of get knocked down and you get back up again, which was very timely. And I know Brie Larson is a big advocate for women's rights as well, which is 
going back to my previous point that you really see her character as a as an actress come through in the in the performance but yeah no they're completely right this idea of emotions and what it means to be a female inequality is really laid on quite thickly which Mm is yeah that's really the sticking point for me Uh because i get that we're at a point where you know there's a lot of expectation she's the first sort of lead female superhero in a marvel film but also i do think it hammers the girl power point Mm. home a little bit too hard even with the soundtrack choices. Okay. I don't want to spoil it, but there's a fight scene set to a certain No Doubt song, (laughs) which had me just sort of sitting in my chair thinking, really, really, you went there? It's so literal. It's so literal. But it's fairly on the nose with all of its 90s references, wouldn't you say? I think it it dances between gimmicky and fun with this. Like, Mm -hmm. her first encounter on Earth, she falls through the roof of a blockbuster store. I just feel like, at this stage, who gets the royalties for that? Is it like Mr. Blockbuster's estate gets paid for, like, being used in this big Marvel film? But yeah, it kind of, it plays with it quite nicely in terms of comedy and comedic timing. Some of the soundtrack bangs. I know it's mm-hmm. it's an obvious choice at this stage to have these big anthems playing at really high, intense action sequences. I didn't like the choice of Nirvana. Nirvana did not belong in this film. And I think that's part of a bigger conversation as to like which songs belong in these big commercial films with these big sponsorships and which songs should just be left well known. That song did not serve a purpose in this film whatsoever. You're not a fan of Nirvana, Beth? <laughs> I hate Nirvana, Michael. <laughs> there is a scene when they're on a spaceship and Man on the Moon is playing in the background. <laughs> it's, it's very literal in terms of its deployment Come on, guys. Of music. <laughs> Try harder. But this is a fascinating one for me. We've spoken before about how there aren't family movies anymore. All movies are pitching towards almost like a 35-year-old uh, you know, in, in the seat. And even this film, even though it has this female lead and it's meant to be empowering young women with a superhero on screen, you can almost see that all of these 90s references are there for their dads to say, do you remember Blockbusters? Yeah. Oh, see, we'll go home. I've got Nevermind somewhere on CD. Do you remember CDs? CD-ROMs? Like, hey, kids, Dialog- let me tell you about modems. Like, yeah. It's very much a generational thing. So mm-hmm. I think it's trying to like reach out to his many people as possible. Some films do that in a more integrated way though. Yes. Like, I'm thinking of Bumblebee, the latest Transformers yeah. movie which is set in the 80s and all of that 80s stuff feels really fun and really kind of yeah integrated into the film but mm-hmm. here I, I felt it was quite gimmicky. Does this deliver as a superhero movie, the thrills, the spectacle like, like we had Wonder Woman a couple of years ago etc? I feel like this is where it falls short for me because even with the like the costume designs and the designs of the spaceships and the interplanetary wars and the aliens and the prosthetics it's all very impressive but we've seen it so many times at this stage that it just doesn't rub off mm-hmm. i think this literally boils down to Brie Larson's casting it mm. would be half the film without her in this role i think i do think it's got a very strong supporting cast as well though as Marvel can films we talk always about do. ben mendelsohn please ben mendelsohn who is under <laughs> blue makeup in in this film like he was in farscape 20 years ago <laughs> look it up google image search as soon as i you get out of here about, you want to talk about mendelsohn go ahead of course i do of course i do and i think the film becomes instantly more fun when you lean into the realisation that Ben Mendelsohn is incredibly funny, even when he's being a piece of work. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so dry, isn't he? So dry. And he's got the ramble. He's got the kind of ad-lib quality to him that I haven't seen before. And then he's got the baddie quality that I've seen so beautifully exercised in Slow West. That's my favourite Mendelsohn uh-huh. role. And he plays with that 
in this great way, but they only lean into his character at the sort of midway point of the film, and that's where the fun starts to come in. Also, oh, Nick Fury. I mean, you heard it there, this very mild-mannered origin story of Nick Fury, who we knew basically nothing about until now. Yeah. It was quite nice to hear that fleshed out, considering how significant he is to the films. Mm-hmm. And Samuel Jackson manages to uh, have a lot of fun with the role. He's has this de-aging CGI makeup Yeah, I was going to ask what you thought of his face being digitally... D-H. I thought it worked for me. Did yeah. it not work for you? Yeah, he looked great. Oh, yeah, yeah. He looked exactly like he would have done in 1995. Ah, oh, what he's having. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then he's also one of those actors that can get away with being, what, 71 or however old he is? People don't realise how old Samuel Jackson is. And they have great chemistry, him mm-hmm. and Brie Larson. Yes. He's in her film that she's directed, I think, Unicorn Store. Is so he? I think they've collaborated before. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they have such a charm to them. Mm-hmm. But it's the best he's been, I think, in the entirety of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's been there from the very end of Iron Man onwards. Yeah. And this is probably the best he's been. But this is an interesting film. It's also the first one in a while where we've had this new hero. It's going to be compared to Black Panther last year, where you have independent filmmakers given the reins of a previously untapped Marvel creation and let loose. You have Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who made Mississippi Grind and Half Nelson, Sundance-level films. I think it's really nice to see the indie female filmmakers coming up now. Like, we've got Anna Bowden, who made Half Nelson. We've got Chloe Zhao, who made The Rider, which I absolutely loved. And she's What is she doing? The Eternals, Mm -hmm. which I say with authority, but I know nothing about, just Mm -hmm. that it's a Marvel project. And then we've got... Kathy Yan making Birds of Prey, which is the DC mm-hmm. Harley Quinn spin-off as well. Mm-hmm. So it's nice that where we've had like Colin Trevorrow and Gareth Edwards making these big franchises, we've now got female indie filmmakers coming up. But is this a good a good next step for Anna Bowden? I, I, this is I think this feels you know, everybody for me needs where... to get paid, Michael. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, not to blame them too strongly, but there was a, there was a phase with Marvel where it just felt that the filmmakers would just come in that'd be the second unit all of the big CGI spec will be done and all they really worked on would be the dialogue scenes with the actors you saw that with Taika Waititi and Thor Ragnarok he was able to infuse that film with his spirit and charm but then it felt like Ryan Coogler really booked that trend and Black Panther came across as this fully formed world and worldview is that there in this film? Not for me. For me, this is really a kind of director for hire type Mm. of job I think there's more interesting stuff going on in at script level I think there's more personality mm. there but again that stuff feels quite paint by the numbers for me you know there's a subplot with Carol the Brie Larson character I forget her her other name Veers right yes but yeah. Carol Danvers is her is human her name. human name so there's this whole storyline about how her best friend is this black woman who's got a young daughter she's a single mother they really kind of hammer that point home there's all this stuff about women being weapons and you know it's just it's just too much it's just too like tick 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 how can we engage the feminists and I say that as a feminist mm-hmm. <laughs> I found it too on the nose okay well let's let's bring this one home with some scores Beth I'll come to you first for in anticipation enjoyment in retrospect okay so I'm not a, a Marvel file is that what we'll call it I'm not as clued up on the, the MCU world but I've really enjoyed the last few Marvel films I love Ragnarok I love Black Panther and I loved um, Infinity War so I was really excited for this and I'm a big Brie Larson fan as I've already said I'm going to say for mostly for Brie Larson's contribution to it and I did have a few goosebumpy moments I think I watched it in the right way as well just like a lovely big multiplex experience but then three it didn't quite stay with me in the way that I'd hoped Ben Mendelsohn 
pretty prominent in this for me, to be honest. Again, I, I think if we took out those those central parts, it wouldn't be half as good. Mm-hmm. Same uh, I'd say anticipation, probably something like a two. I really am not super into these Marvel films. Enjoyment, I'd maybe even go up as high as a four. I did get swept up in certain parts of it, but then when I sort of thought about it, really, it kind of sinks back down to a two for me. Mm-hmm. Well, personally, I really am in the pocket for Marvel at the moment, especially after the year where they, I think, put out two five-star movies with Infinity War and Black Panther, so five in anticipation for me. But this, I'd probably best to view this on a par with the Guardians of the Galaxies or the, the Doctor Stranges, this sort of second tier. And I think it's very well cast, Brie Larson. Think back to Captain America, the first Avenger, Thor, with both Thor and Loki in that film. Their first outings weren't their strongest. They get better as they go along. Marvel know how to develop their characters over films. I can't wait to see how she plays with the ensemble in Endgame, which comes out in two months. So I think even though it's three enjoyment, three in retrospect, I'm still on board. We'll see how it goes. But that was Captain Marvel. Next, we're going from Brie to Brum with Ray and Liz. How's this for a unique adaptation? Rain Liz is the feature debut from photographer Richard Billingham and it's based on a series of photographs documenting his upbringing in the West Midlands in the late 70s and early 80s. Providing a backstory for these photographs, Rain Liz plays out as a sequence of dramatic vignettes focusing on Billingham's alcoholic father Ray and his chain-smoking mother Liz. Let's hear a clip. When are you getting these walls papered, Elizabeth? When we get round to eat. It's a lovely photo, that. Yes, lovely. Yes, it is a lovely photo, eh? Sit your ass down, then. Oh, it's lovely and warm in here, Elizabeth. I say, it's lovely and warm in here, isn't it? Will you stop bloody repeating yourself? Soon as you come in here, how are you doing it? Sorry, Elizabeth. You're going out in a minute. Out? Ah, you're staying here, mate. Mm-hmm. No. Want you to look after Jason. Where are you going, Elizabeth? Can't you take him with you, eh? He'll put some time into you when he's older. Yeah, I think Will's bare wait till he grows up. And me. Uh, um, Richard says you have a pork dinner for me. Is that right, eh? Yeah. Look at that, mate. Yes, lovely. Thank you, Elizabeth. Put it in the oven with a plate over it. Tony Way there as uh, Richard Billingham's uncle in one of the first vignettes in Ray and Liz. Simran, not to be tokenistic, but you are one of our resident West Midlanders. It's true. Uh, You wouldn't recognise it from the accent, but I actually grew up in Dudley, which is where this film is set, or very near to it, because the accent is not just a West Midlands accent, but specifically a black country accent. And so I felt such um, nostalgia hearing, you know, those intonations and hearing that slang uh-huh. it was really kind of moving to me but I've seen this film twice now okay and I'm 100% convinced that this is a five-star film brilliant this film is incredible I think it will be remembered up there with films like Andrew Arnold's Fish Tank mm. it's a coming-of-age film but it's also a film about parenting it sort of takes the structure of these three sections so we start with Ray in a room, I guess present day, in a sort of bedsit. And then the middle section is 
almost like a it's almost like a play mm-hmm. it's it's all sort of set in this one room and this sequence of events happens as people kind of come in and out of it and uh, there's all this dramatic tension around i guess you could call it a babysitting incident and then the third act is um one of the characters grown up slightly um, but still a small child and his adventures slash neglect mm-hmm it's really something, isn't it? I'm, I'm finding it hard to even describe the film to people because there's so much of an inbuilt preconception when you talk about films in council houses, films with neglectful parents, films set in the 1980s Thatcher era looking at people on the margins of that society. You can mention Mike Lee and Ken Loach. It's not really like their films. But one of the access points I, I will re- refer to is the, the cinematographer on this movie, Daniel Landin, worked on Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin a few years ago, which is, of course, a sci-fi horror film, but it has that sort of powerful imagery that, I don't want to say elevates, but it makes it different, even though it's all within these interior spaces. Every image just pops and feels somewhat otherworldly. Yeah. Uh, Beth, what did you make of Rainless? I think it was an incredibly intuitive film. I was so surprised when I learned that it was his first feature. Mm. Um, he feels such a familiar and authoritative filmmaker already, and not just in terms of the composition, which I know comes from his background in photography, but he manages to summon almost like this kind of symphony within these very confined walls. He makes like beautiful use of all the diegetic sounds mm. kind of as they go along. He really has an eye for what it means to be bored and poor, basically, which he kind of teases out in these little moments that you capture in between the the, the larger events of the film, things like a neighbour popping by to swipe a cigarette from... So they, they collect used cigarettes and keep them in a jar. Mm-hmm. And the little boy, Jason, he pours cinnamon in his dad's mouth when he's asleep. And oh, then it's even better. It's chilli powder. It's chili powder. Is it chilli powder? Uh-huh. What a monster. Mm. I didn't realise. I thought it was like the cinnamon challenge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he really, he really manages to weave such a, a complex and again an intuitive kind of canvas of, of what it means to grow up in a council state. And, mm-hmm. and as I say, to be bored and to be poor, mm-hmm. which are two very ambitious themes within a first feature I think mm-hmm. and so many single shots that linger in the mind afterwards you mentioned the chilli powder incident which he pours into Ray's mouth as he's sleeping and he coughs and just puffs into the air so, <laughs> and then there's also a, a scene of Ray looking out the window and it's sunset through net curtains which looks like there's an apocalypse occurring outside yeah with the cinematography and, and with the way the film looks this filmmaker was nominated for a Turner Prize right, yeah. um, so that, that maybe has something to do with it and all of it is kind of shot in 16 millimeter, mm-hmm. and it's in academy ratio. So the the frame is a square box, which gives everything a kind of photograph-like mm-hmm. quality anyway. But there's something really tactile about all mm. of the images. You see the net curtains, and you see a buzzing fly, and you see a kind of sticky drink of you know home brew, and you can smell it, and you can taste it. It's mm-hmm. so sensory. At one stage, I could almost feel Liz's like spittle on my face. Like she was so tangibly like angry, and he he frames that wonderfully to sort of set it up a little bit more for those who haven't seen it. Ray and Liz are the parents. Mm-hmm. Jason and Richard are the children. In the middle section, Jason is probably four, something like that. Yes, and and Richard seems more like He's ten, about eleven. 10, yeah. yeah, and then um, we skip forward until Jason is probably about. 11, 12, And Richard like seems to be going off to college shortly or something Exactly. Like that, yeah. So you get this child who, I guess, um, Billingham, that's him, right? Mm, yeah. I think so. 
it feels like it makes you think it's him, which again in itself is yeah. Well, it's, it's based on these photographs of his actual parents that he's recreating now. There's, there's some so, layers of so if, so layers if, autobiography here. So if uh, if Ray and Liz are Richard Billingham's parents, then he's the Jason character, right? Or is he the older child? What I don't know. I, I guess I, I would be inclined mm. to think of him as as the Jason character, the okay, younger brother, right. just because that's the point of identification, okay. really. Um, and there's this whole incredible sequence where. Jason goes to Dudley Zoo. He's meant to go to school and he sneaks off to Dudley Zoo. And it's, first of all, the first time I've ever seen Dudley Zoo in a film. <laughs> I was watching it and I went, that's Dudley Zoo. Um, and I, I have been there and unfortunately, I can confirm it is the most depressing place I've ever been in my entire life. It's brutal. If you are a wild animal, you wouldn't want to live in Dudley. <laughs> and so you have him, so this small boy wandering around and he feeds the giraffes and kind of makes eye contact with them. He's peering over and looking at the seals. He's looking at the hyenas. And actually the character is really obsessed with animals. He collects snails. Mm. They've got lots of pets all throughout the film. And I think there's there's something interesting that's happening there with him identifying with these creatures more than he is with the people in his life. Mm. You've just reminded me of probably my favourite part of the film where he walks up to a wildlife documentary and he strokes a wild cat on the screen oh my goodness that's just like brought that right back to the surface oh I love this film <laughs> I love this film so there's much there's a tendency with a film like this to almost come in on visuals first or the background first these these access points but it's such a well put together film the first vignette as you, as you said Simon plays out like a play it reminded me of Harold Pinter's 1950s 1960s work with that's the sequence with Tony Way where he's left to look after Jason and things go awry and there's a there's a vein of very dark humour through it as well that I think is paid off with a perfect soundtrack choice at the end of the I'm going to, I'm going to spoil it. Susie and the Banshees, one of my favourite bands, which is completely period appropriate. It's so well put together, and there's more to it maybe than would seem on first glance. This may seem miserable, I guess, if you see the poster or the trailer, mm. but it's more than that. Would we say? Yeah, it's not poverty porn. Mm -hmm. It's not misery porn. Mm -hmm. It's not any kind of porn. It's basically trying to recreate a moment and recreate these memories and make these very ephemeral images into something tactile and something that you can feel and it creates empathy with these characters you know it's both because it's looking back and because it's so personal you get the feeling of revulsion and mm. kind of I don't know, like resentment towards how, you know, this younger character is treated. But also there's affection and humour and love. And I think it's cool how it balances the two yeah. things. Let's put some scores on this, Simon. I'll, I'll come to you first. I didn't really know very much about this film. I'd heard it was good. So I guess a four. Mm -hmm. One watching it, five. One watching it again, five. I, I just love it. I think it's amazing. Beth. Three in anticipation. It just, it didn't look like an extraordinary film to me. And then four, it is. And then four again, because it still is. So. Three, four, four for me. I didn't know what to expect. I was quite you know, stunned by it. I think that might, it may be a five on rewatch. I can't wait to watch it again. That's Rainless, a very strong recommendation from the table. They should get Billingham to do maybe the soundtrack for the next Captain Marvel film. Oh, really? That'd be a good one to put in, I think. I think he's on the right track. Yeah, okay. Put, let's put them in touch. We should. We should. But speaking of Captain Marvel, we're going back to superheroes next for Film Club this week, which is Supergirl. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Film Club this week is Supergirl, a film that has a place in the annals of comic book movie history for two reasons. It was the first Hollywood super flick to have a female lead in the form of the newcomer Helen Slater, and it stands as one of the most critically maligned films of the whole bunch. More of a fairy tale adventure than we've come to expect from DC and Marvel in the decades since Supergirl sees Superman's cousin, Kara Zor-El, travelling to Earth in pursuit of a powerful artefact, but finds herself up against a wicked witch and the unwitting target of a love spell. Linda! I gotta find Linda. She was in trouble. Well, Linda's all right. She can take care of herself. No, 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 she can't. Something's wrong. She's in big trouble, and I love her. <laughs> I love her. Yeah, I do love her. <laughs> I have to go, Ethan. Goodbye. Yeah, so do I. Hey. You. Linda can take care of herself. You just flew over my head, didn't I'll you? I saw you do that. I'll go back there and I'll take care of everything. So I don't said you worry just flew about... over my head. True or false? True. Like Superman. <laughs> He's my cousin. <laughs> He's your cousin? Yes. I shouldn't be telling you this, though. I'm here on. Wait a minute. Wait one minute. I mean, you can do the whole number, leap tall buildings with a single bound. You can look right through things. Yes. Bend steel bars. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, Whoa. Um, first of all, did you recognise who that guy was in the film? Hart Bochner? He's He has one other role that's very famous in 80s movie history. No, but your face is making me very excited for you to so tell me. Literally, four years later, he grows a beard and he's Ellis in Die Hard, the, uh, the sort no of slimy way. exec. Much better in that film than this one. The more you know. Let, let's... Uh, Let's read some listener comments first before we dive into this film. Simran, do you want to read one or two? Sure. This comment comes from Raj Madan, and uh, they say, Love this movie. I remember the beginning being so weird. Yes, Raj, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) We concur, Raj. This is from Pat Kelman. I saw it on first release. With this and The Legend of Billie Jean, I ended up with a massive crush on Helen Slater. We've got Jenny Newman here. Seen it and love it. It may not be the best superhero movie in the world but it's a fun, easy watch for a Sunday afternoon. 
not sure. Beth and I watched this on a Sunday afternoon and um, <laughs> not sure I agree with you there, Jenny. How, how did it play on that Sunday afternoon? I guess this was a first watch for you two. It was a good film in company in that we had a, a rollicking good laugh at it. It was somewhat of a slog, actually. Yeah. It, Why is it two hours? I it's just so long. Yeah, it's too long. I feel like films of this ilk they need to be iconic in that they either need to be iconically awful of <laughs> trolls to nature or they need to be iconically incredible and and this fell on neither side of of that coin i feel like you know how kind of some of the netflix especially the christmas specials on netflix are kind of written based on algorithms and things this film like like it feels like it was born in like a boardroom with these ad men like well what did the teen girls like human rights but kissing boys on the mouth it's just like <laughs> who doesn't you know and oh high school so she goes to high school and and that's a major part of the plot line and throughout that whole span of the film her powers are solely used to turn her hair brunette like mm-hmm. that's what she uses her powers for so it's just I, I get that it's made with kind of teenage girls in mind but like who are these teenage girls who I, are they i feel like i've identified the film's main problem the premise is that Supergirl is Superman's cousin. That's a rubbish premise for a film. That's not enough. No. But then it has given birth to 50, 60, 70 years of pretty good comics at times and a good TV series, the Supergirl TV series on right now. I think it's pretty good. It is a bit of a, a lazy gender double kind of concept, though, isn't it? Well, I guess one thing we can say about this film is that there's sort of two elements of it, right? So there's the Supergirl on Earth falling in love hanging out with Lois Lane's sister, mm-hmm. uh, getting brown hair and uh, meeting boys and going to school and all of that stuff. And then there's the sort of subplot with the witches. It's Faye Dunaway as Selena, mm-hmm. who is so bad. <laughs> I love her so much. She's such a good actress. What mm-hmm. is she doing? She doesn't even look like she's having that much fun. Well, Simone, you'd be happy to know that that role was offered to Dolly Parton first. Well, oh, I'd love to have seen that. <laughs> I think Dolly would have killed it. Yeah, Dolly would have smashed it. She got her sax out and that could have <laughs> Been like a, a source of power. Oh, God, I want to see that film. But um, but I think the the witch subplot is is much more interesting, and and they're trying to get this core of power. I think right. The <laughs> Omega Hedron, which That's is it. powering her city of Astro City, which is in a separate dimension to the rest of space, so survived the destruction of Krypton. Sorry, this is far too much detail we have to go into, but go on. No, and also, from what I remember, Selina is... There's like a warlock who is controlling her, right? The British guy. Peter uh, Peter the, Cook. Yeah, uh, not Peter at all, but he's also he's in also it. He's also in it. It feels like it was a compromise on every level. So they wanted Dudley Moore to play Nigel, this warlock character we mentioned. They wanted Christopher Reeve to come in and have a cameo as Superman, and he didn't want he to turn He wasn't having up. any of it. <laughs> uh, so there's this gaping void in the middle of the film. Uh, they were thinking of Demi Moore to play Lois Lane's sister. They wanted um, was it Brooke Shields to play Supergirl. and Everything is just kind of the second choice. <laughs> And the film feels cobbled together from all of that. We don't really know why she has to uh, have a secret identity on Earth because she doesn't have a family to protect or an integrity to protect. This is what I mean. I feel like they had these boxes to tick very much in the same way that you said with Captain Marvel, Simran. It feels like there are a lot of marketing devices in place to ensure that they reach their target audience, which was teenage girls. And this high school kind of sub-thread, the love story. I mean, what a boring way to spend time on Earth if you're super ghost is chasing around a groundskeeper of a college. And her main 
antagonistic force is a JCB <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a scene that lasts maybe three hours. <laughs> oh, it lasts so long, Michael. It's such a slog. I think one thing that before we wrap up on it, I do want to talk about the special effects because they are quite something. There's an amazing bit. So Supergirl, when she kind of goes to Earth, she escapes in this sort of pod that I imagine is supposed to sort of go off at light speed. Mm-hmm. It does not go very <laughs> fast at all. It is so slow. It's like a it trundle, just, trundles off into light speed. Exactly. It just saunters. <laughs> um, and then when she arrives on Earth, there's actually a listener comment that kind of relates to this from Sam Kearney who says, I love this film. I always hoped that if I smelled a flower with my eyes closed, that when I opened them, I would be flying. (laughs) And indeed, that's what happens to Supergirl. She smells a flower and then (laughs) levitates with what I can only imagine is joy. But the flying sequences are so funny because she moves so slowly. She's just clearly on a harness and there's like green, not even a green screen, it wouldn't be, like a painted backdrop (laughs) of some horses. Oh, wow. I mean, it's just... You want to you want to be able to appreciate something's context and what it was trying to do at the time and the resources that it had and that's fine but you know we had Star Wars in the seventies mm-hmm. and yeah. this ain't Star Wars. This was where that whole Superman franchise just looked cheaper and naffer with every entry and this was definitely the downward slope. And even the performances did it. I mean Peter O'Toole was in it for goodness sake. He was playing here what I feel like current day Ben Kingsley would play in an action film okay. or like yeah, superhero film you know when he'd, he'd do an interview and be like oh it's got like Shakespearean connotations and things it's it's very much him trying to ham it up and, and the performances in themselves Ken Branagh could also do that role oh, he oh definitely he'd be could. great in yeah. this and they also have a strange cameo from Mia Farrow oh uh, my goodness yeah, who surely do. was a maybe at this point well you think all of these actors would be above a film like this at this stage but oh dear do we have anything to salvage from this film don't bother, you know. One thing I would say is I think Jerry Goldsmith's score, he does have a pretty good theme, although it sounds like an offcut from his Star Trek music. Not as good as his score for Mulan, that's all I'm saying. Ah! So if we're talking about films, adventures with a female lead, Mulan, all the way? Yes, absolutely. Not Supergirl? Not Supergirl. Not Supergirl. Well, that was Supergirl and that was Film Club. Do we have... Any other films to talk about? Any other business this week? Any other new releases, Beth? Uh, so The Kindergarten Teacher is out this week, which is a really chilling, very impressive film from Sarah Colangelo, starring Maggie Gyllenhaal. I'm putting on a screening of it tomorrow night at the Rio Cinema. If you find yourself in East London, specifically Kingsland Road in Dalston, we have got a very special preview and we've got some amazing spoken word performances as well. So if you're at a loose end tomorrow night, mm-hmm. do come on down. That's Thursday night this week. Come on down. I'm only going to recommend that. I watched it quite recently and it's so tense and morally ambiguous and weird and sad. It's one of the strangest, most interesting things I've seen in a while and I'd definitely recommend you check it out. Oh, fantastic. So a pretty good release week for films. Next week, though, we have Andrew Garfield in Under the Silver Lake. We have Girl, which was a very hotly tipped film from Cannes last year. And for Film Club, we have Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye, another sort of wayward noir set in L.A. to mark under the Silver Lakes release. Have either of you seen those films? Any? I have seen The Long Goodbye and, uh, you know, love that film. And I think it's probably Robert Altman's best film. Mm -hmm. And uh, it should be a nice palate cleanser for Film Club (laughs) after (laughs) Supergirl. You know, it could have almost been on this week because Long Goodbye has an amazing cat. And Captain Marvel has a pretty good cat as well. 
the best. It's true. Mm-hmm. I've seen Under the Silver Lake, and I liked it. I know it's polarized a lot of people. I know it, it falls, as uh, David liked to say, in the incel canon. Um, but I was a big fan of it. It's too long. It was my only qualm, but I had a lot of time for it. Well, thank you, Beth. That was a, a little pricey for next week. We'll be back to talk about those films. If you want to let us know what you think about The Long Goodbye or anything we talked about, maybe Supergirl, uh, you could let us know at Truth and Movies on Twitter, at truthandmovies at tclondon.com via email or on the comments section at ldlies.com slash podcast. Simran, Beth, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having us. I've been Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.